Amen. Amen. Give the praise team a big hand, would you? What a great job they've done today. Thank you for that. Amen. Thank you for being here in God's house. John, thank you so much for sharing the ministry of the Gideons. And uh, I want to just segue right into that with a message from God's Word today about the Word of God. In fact, I want to talk to you about you and your Bible uh, how we use the Bible and the transformation that God's Word can make into our life. One of the most powerful parables that Jesus ever spoke was in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. I've been doing a, a long series on the parables of Jesus. One more this morning, Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 24, Jesus told this story. He said, everyone then who hears these Words, okay, these words of mine. Some, some translations use the word teachings there. Everyone who hears these teachings or these words of mine and does them or fleshes them out, he will be like a wise man who built his house on a what? On a rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and it beat on that house but the house did not fall. It did not collapse. Why? Because that house was built on a, on a rock. And then here's the alternate to that. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the what? The sand. The rains came. The, the floods rose. The winds blew. And it beat against that house, and that house collapsed. It fell, and great was the fall of that house. Okay, so Jesus is telling us about two different men. One is a wise man. The other is a foolish man. Both are building houses, okay? How many of you have ever built a house, okay? You've ever actually built your own house, all right? Uh, we, we've not had that privilege, but we kind of watched the end of our house being built. Let me tell you, it is imperative that you have a good foundation to build your house. Almost every house on my street, Carrie Lane, has had a foundational crack, and so the bricks are cracking on the sides of the houses, and they've had to spend a whole lot of money and having somebody come in and jack up a corner of their house. Why? Because they had a faulty foundation. Uh, we're about to build a new building out here. Who's ready for that? Man, I am. I'm, I'm excited about that. Uh, the problem is we've got bad soil here. Okay. Uh, in fact, I told the first service at, at 9 o'clock, uh, there was a man in our service, Charlie Wagner. Charlie grew up here in, in uh, Fort Smith. He's 107 now. <laughs> Don't tell Charlie I said that. Charlie, Charlie's about 80, I think about close to 80 years old, and I would not mess with Charlie Wagner. I mean, the guy could clean your plow, even at 80 years old. He's a great. Charlie's one of my heroes. I want to grow up and be like Charlie when I get to 80 years old. But Charlie, as a little boy, would come right down here where our church is, and he would fish. Because this used to be a pond. <laughs> this used to be a little lake right here that we're on right now. And so we know we have bad soil here. So before we even get out of the ground, we're going to have to dig these big piers into the surface of the earth. Why? So that we can have a solid foundation. Okay, your foundation is so important. So here's these two guys, one wise, one foolish. One builds his house on a rock, which is a solid foundation. The other man, I guess he lives in Florida, he built his house on the sand, which may look pretty, but I'm going to tell you, it's, it's not a good foundation for your house because the storms are coming. 
I mean, you know nature. You're going to have rain. You're going to have winds, tornadoes. The floods are going to come. And if your house is built on a faulty foundation or the sand, get ready, it's going to collapse. But here's the deal. Jesus was not really talking about real storms in nature, nor was he really talking about the foundation of a building. What he's really talking about is your life. What are you going to build your life on? Because guess what? Storms are a-coming. They're just around the corner. We face storms in life almost every day. You go into work one day and you find out you no longer have a job. That's a tornado that has come into your life, correct? You go to the doctor and you get a bad report. You've got the C word. They found cancer. That is a storm that has come into your life. Your, Your kids rebel. They have problems. That is a storm that's in your life. And guess what? Life is full of those storms. They come all the time. And if your life is not built on the rock, something solid, something that is foundational, your life, just like a house built on sand, is going to crumble. So there is one main teaching in every parable that Jesus taught. Here is the main teaching of this parable Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 7. He said the rock, the foundation to build your life on are my words. The words of Jesus, the words he just spoke on the Sermon on the Mount, the words of the gospel, but I believe it's more than that. I believe it's the entirety of the word of God. Jesus is saying, if you want your life to withstand the storms that are going to come into your life, into your family, into your home, you need to build your life on, thus saith the word of God. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning, how we do that. Storms are going to come. Jesus made that clear. We need to build our life on something that is solid, foundational, the rock, which is the word of truth. So we'll find today how we can do that. Three three ways you can use your Bible to build your life on the words of Jesus Christ. Number one, we use the Bible, this book, to gain knowledge. Okay, to gain knowledge. And when I say that, when I talk about Bible knowledge, I'm just simply talking about what God has done in the past, what God has done in history. At this level, all you're doing is learning the stories of the Bible. You're learning the people of the Bible, the events of the Bible, the truths of the Bible, the facts that are contained in the Bible. You learn the content of the Word of God. You learn what the Bible is all about. And this is the most basic level that everyone has to begin with. What is the content of the Word of God? Would you agree with that? I've not told you anything you don't know, but maybe here's something that you have forgotten. In Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, this is what the Bible says, Hosea 4, 6, God said, my people, you guys, my people are destroyed, why? From lack of what? From lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed, why? Because they don't know the words of truth. They don't know the words of the Bible. Even though there are more Bibles on planet earth than ever before, they're everywhere. Thank you, Gideons, for placing them everywhere. Thank you, Gideons, for placing them 
everywhere. In the marketplace, at schools, on college campuses, to the military, in, in hospitals, in hotel rooms. Thank God for the Gideons. Bibles are everywhere, everywhere you turn. Last year, over 100 million copies of the Bible were printed. At least a portion of Scripture, not the whole Bible, but at least portions of Scripture were produced and published in 3,350 different languages and dialects. Praise the Lord for that. The Bible outsells every other book every single year. There have never been more Bibles on planet Earth than there are right now. <laughs> Yet we are a biblically illiterate generation. People just don't know what's in the Bible. I didn't say this first service, but we talked about it in my office between services. And a lot of people don't really care. They don't know what's in the Bible, and today a whole lot of people don't really care what's in the Bible. George Bernard recently did a survey and discovered that 65% of Americans, all right, us, 65% of Americans thought the phrase, God helps those who help themselves, was in the Bible. Now, it, it sounds good, doesn't it? God helps those who help themselves. But that's not the Bible. That was Ben Franklin who said that. In fact, if you want to know the truth, the Bible says the exact opposite of that. God helps those who trust in him. He discovered that half of all America could not name the town that Jesus was born in. One third thought there is a book of Thomas in the Bible. Another study revealed that the whole lot of people thought Sodom and Gomorrah were boyfriend and girlfriend. <laughs> that Jesus was baptized by Moses and that the Gospels consist of Matthew, Mark, Luther, and John. Maybe my favorite is this. A lot of people thought the epistles were the wives of the apostles. <laughs> which, which they're not. You know what? We laugh about that. We laugh about that. But you know what? How much of the Bible do we know? Really, seriously, how much of the Bible do you know? The goal here is to simply learn the Word of God. Jesus said this numerous times in the Gospel. He, he basically said it to church people. He said, your trouble is you don't know the Scriptures. And I think that's the trouble with a whole lot of us. So how do we learn the Word of God? That's the question. How do we learn the Word of God? I'm going to give you the secret this morning. Okay, you ready for this? Get on the edge of your pew. Get your bulletin out so you can write this down. Here is the secret for gaining knowledge from the Word of God. Here is the secret for knowing the content that is in the Bible. Are you ready? I'm not going to tell you until you say, yes, I'm ready. I mean, yes, I'm ready. Read it. That's it. You learn the content of the Bible simply by reading it. How many of you, how many of you believe the Bible from cover to cover? Raise your hand. If you believe the Bible from cover to cover, raise your hand. Would you? Okay. If you're awake, all right, you probably raised your hand. Now don't raise your hand when I ask this question. Okay, don't raise your hand, but I could ask how many of you have read it from cover to cover? 
That there's a huge difference there between believing it from cover to cover and actually reading it. I know people who are Christians, and actually I know some preachers who are more faithful to the sports page than they are to the Word of God. And I don't mean to be beating you on the head with this this morning, but let me tell you, it's essential that you know the Word of God. And the only way you're going to know the Word of God is when you open it and you read it for yourself. When I was writing this sermon, I had a whole lot of little catchphrases uh, pop into my mind that I heard when I was a little boy growing up in Midland, Texas at, at my church. And I remember my preacher used to say, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. And, and I mean, th that may be the problem with some of us today. Why we're not spending time reading God's word is because we need to get the junk out of our life. So that we can understand the word of God. I've also discovered that when I see somebody with a Bible that is falling apart. Literally falling apart because they've used it so much. Generally speaking, they're not falling apart. Are you with me? How about an amen? So at this level, we're simply reading the word of God and understanding that. Bible knowledge is great. But Bible knowledge is not enough. It's the shallowest level. And if all you get is Bible knowledge, if all you have are Bible facts, two things are going to happen. One's bad, the other one is good. The first thing is the bad thing. If, if all you have is Bible knowledge, all you're doing is taking it in, problem is you're going to get full of pride. Pride is going to fill your heart. The Bible says knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Have you ever met a Bible braggart? I mean, somebody who really does know the Bible and they literally bulldoze you over with Bible facts, okay? Their life is full of pride. I, I pastored this lady years ago, and no doubt she read her Bible. She told me <laughs> how, how her devotions were and how much of the Bible she read. And, and let me tell you, she, she, was a, she could give Bible facts, but let me tell you, it never came out visibly in her attitude. She was the meanest old lady I've ever met in my life. And I did, she did more sabotaging my ministry and preaching the good news than, than anyone else has ever done in my life and in my ministry. She knew Bible facts, but that's all it went to. Bible facts. And by the way, she didn't go to this church, right? It was some other church I was at. But that's the problem if all you have is knowledge. The second thing that happens is this. Knowledge increases responsibility. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. In fact, James said, if you know to do something good and you don't do it, then it is sin. So the more you know, the more responsibility that you have to do something with it. And that brings me to point number two. We use the Bible to gain knowledge. You get that knowledge by reading the Word of God. Number two, we use our Bibles to give us and develop within us convictions. Convictions. You know what convictions are? Convictions are beliefs that literally shape your behavior. A conviction is something that I believe in so strongly and I'm so passionate about it, it changes the way I see things. It changes the way I view my world and I view other people. That's what a conviction is. 
A conviction determines my behavior. A conviction is something that you will die for. What I've discovered is this. People who have made the greatest impact on planet Earth are not necessarily the the smartest or the most intelligent or even the wealthiest. The people who have made the greatest impact on planet Earth, either for good or for bad, are people with the deepest convictions. What is needed today, more than anything else, are people with godly convictions. People who know what they believe and why they believe it. Another one of these catchphrases that I I remember my preacher saying, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. You need convictions in your life. Today we live in an age where society says that all of our values are up for grabs. There are no moral absolutes. It's whatever you want to do. And when I hear someone say, there are no absolutes, I think to myself, well, are you absolutely sure about that? (laughs) Because you've just given an absolute. And and here is the deal. We, We need absolutes in our life. We need values and morals in our character. I don't mean to get on a a horse and ride it too hard today, and and I don't mean to sound too old-fashioned. I don't mind sounding old-fashioned, though, at times. We kind of need to be reminded of some old ways, don't we? But but we have today what what I call talk show morality. Really, think about this. You find the weirdest people you can find. I mean, people who just do bizarre things, weird things, and you put them up on a stage... And allow them to defend their behavior, their lifestyle, like it's something normal when it is not anything normal. Anytime somebody says, I think this is okay or that's okay or this is right or that's right, no matter what anybody else thinks, you need to ask the question, well, who says? I mean, who says that? Who set you up as an authority? I mean, are you? Are you going to be the authority of your life? If you're the authority of your life, you've set some pretty low standards. All of us need an authority in our life. Somebody to tell us what is right and someone to tell us what is wrong. Is it possible in this day and age to know what is right and wrong? In this age of pluralism, is it, is it even possible? I mean, tell me, is it possible to know what is good and what is evil? Well, certainly it is. There are some things that are absolutely right, and these things have always been right. There are other things that are absolutely wrong, and they have always been absolutely wrong. So where do we go to find out what is right and what is wrong? Well, can I suggest the owner's manual? (laughs) Let's just go to the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14. But solid food, and the Word of God is is always uh, reckoned to solid foods. It's not the milk, it's the meat of the Word. Solid food belongs to those who are what? Full age, grown up. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. 
Now, the, the point of this verse is this. It is possible for you to discern what is good and what is bad. How do you do that? Well, you have to train yourself for it. You exercise yourself for it. In what way? You do that by using the Word of God, which is solid food. And this book is solid food. So it's down to this. I gain Bible knowledge by reading the Bible. I gain conviction from the Bible, but, but how do I do that? We gain conviction through meditating on the Word of God. That's kind of a scary word, meditate. Say it with me on three. One, two, three. Meditate. Oh. Mm. I tell you what, it's in the Word of God. You know what meditate means? It means to simply think about something over and over and over again. You're constantly revolving it in your mind. You're thinking about it. Every minute of every day, it's in your mind. That's what meditating is. It's thinking about something. Now, you look baffled, so let me just... How many of you know how to worry? Raise your hand if you know how to worry. Sure, okay? Everybody knows how to worry. That's the negative side of this. You, You take an issue or a problem in your life, and you just constantly think about it and fret over it. That's called worry. The positive side is you take a scripture or a biblical truth and you constantly think about that. You revile that over and over in your mind. Notice when you meditate on God's word, you're going to get God's heart. Now that's huge. I think Paul's right there. When you meditate on God's word, you're thinking about God's word all day long, meditating on it. What's that going to do inside of you? It's going to give you the heart of God. In other words, you're going to begin feeling the same way God does about whatever it is he's been talking about. Uh, Let me show you a verse on this. Joshua 1.8. Love this verse. What's the first word in Joshua 1.8? Meditate. Meditate on God's word. When do we do that? Day and night. So that you may be careful to do Everything that is written in it. Then you will be what? Prosperous and successful. What a great blessing there. What a promise. God says, if you want to be prosperous and successful, then you meditate on my word day and night. You constantly revolve it over and over in your mind. And the result of that is you're going to have the heart of God in your life. And that is the key. We meditate on the Word of God. And let me tell you, when you do this, when you get God's perspective instead of your perspective, life becomes a whole lot easier. You you stop making stupid mistakes. You stop having to take that same life test over and over and over again. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, God's trying to teach you a lesson and you keep flunking the test. Because you try to do it your way instead of God's way? Well, when you begin to meditate on the Word of God and it infiltrates your mind, your heart, your soul, then you see things from God's perspective. And you see things differently. So, number one, I gain Bible knowledge by reading the Word of God. Number two, I gain conviction by meditating on the Word of God. Number three, we use our Bible to build character into our life. This is the deepest level. Jude verse 20 says, Build up your lives ever more strongly upon the foundation of faith. And there we have an allusion back to the parable Jesus spoke. 
You want your life to be built on a solid foundation. What is that foundation? It's that of faith. It's of the Word of God. D.L. Moody, the great preacher, used to say, the Bible was not given to increase our knowledge. The Bible was given to change our lives. And that is the purpose of the Word of God. God gave it so that your life could be changed. Colossians 3.10 says, put on the new man. In other words, you, you begin to behave like you say you believe. You begin to behave like Jesus Christ. You're reading the Word of God. You're gaining knowledge. You're meditating on the Word of God. God is giving His perspective to your life. You're seeing the world differently than you've ever seen it before. And the next step is you start behaving like you say you believe. Here's the bottom line, church. To become like Jesus Christ in my character. And if I never reach this level through Bible study and teaching, I have missed the point. Personal application is the deepest form of biblical teaching. It requires life change. Again, you learn the content through reading. You get conviction through meditating. And then you do something about it. The Word of God changes your life. How about an amen from everybody? Amen. So let me wrap this thing up. Let me land this plane. What is going to be the authority in your life? What, what, is going to be the, what is going to be the final authority in your life? Everybody's got that in their life, kind of like the supreme court of your life. How you make decisions, how you live life, the choices you make. So what's going to be the final authority in your life? Is it going to be popular opinion? I mean, just what everybody else is doing? Let me tell you, if that's what you're basing your life on, <laughs> can I say this? It's pretty foolish because popular opinion changes. I mean, you can see that in the political world today. One group says they don't believe in this, and then three months later something happens. Now they believe in it. Yeah. Or how about this? I, I'm going to build my life. My final authority is going to be on tradition. Well, that might sound good, but what if the tradition is wrong? then your life is going to be wrong. Or what about this? I'm going to base my authority on the path of least resistance. <laughs> we all do that at times. That's not good either. Here's what it comes down to, church. Listen to me. The final authority in your life is going to be one of two things. And I'm going back to the parable Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 7. The final authority in your life is either going to be the world and what the world says is right, or it's going to be the Word of God and what God says is right. And if you build your life on the Word of God, the Bible, then you're building on that rock, that strong foundation. If you build your life on the world and the philosophy of this world, it's like you're building your life on sand. Because I guarantee you this, baby, the storms are coming. Life is real. And your life will only stand if the authority of your life is the eternal Word of God. So if you do decide that what God says is right, and God is going to be the final authority of my life, if you make that decision today, then my friend, you need to become serious about the Word of God. You need to take the Word of God serious in your life. 
I told First Service, I, I read this fact this past week, and I, I couldn't believe it, so I Googled it. <laughs> anyway, that's another story. It, it just kind of blew me away. Here's, here's what it said. If you live to be 65 years old, you will have amassed nine and a half years of watching TV in your life. Think about that. If you, if you live to be 65 years old, you will have watched, on average, nine and a half years worth of TV. That's about three and a half hours a day. Some of you are working on like nine hours a day right now, as it is. But just think about that. You're sitting in your recliner, laying on your couch, and nine and a half years, you're watching the TV. You know what's happening? When you're watching TV, whether it's a, 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 a movie or, or just a, a, a show or a talk show or the news, you know what you're doing? You're allowing the world's philosophy not only into your living room, but into your mind and into your heart. Because I mean, the people who write those shows are not Christians. Most of the news that you hear is corrupt and sided. So you're allowing that in your, that, that is your perspective, nine and a half years worth of this stuff in your heart. So let me ask you a question. How many of you really truly believe everything you see on TV? Raise your hand. Nobody. Even further than that, how many of you believe everything you read in the newspaper? Or how much of the internet do you believe? I mean, you Googled it. Now let me ask you another question. How many of you truly believe everything that is in the Word of God? Raise your hand. Yeah. So guys, let's get serious about the Bible. Let's read it every day. I, I wish we could make this a requirement in church. <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't force you into reading the Word of God, but just try it. You'll like it. It will change your life. Read it every day. Number two, meditate on the Word of God. When you read the Bible in the morning, pick out a, a scripture or something that speaks to your heart. And as you go to work or through the day, allow that to, to just kind of revolve over and over in your mind. And then by all means, like Miss Angie said, you know, I know women can't be Gideons, but she'd be a pretty good Gideon, wouldn't she? I mean, great testimony. When the Holy Spirit nudges you, flesh it out. Live the Word of God. Do what it tells you to do. And I'm going to ask all of you this morning to come to the altar and make that commitment to God. Lord, I'm going to take your word seriously. I'm going to read it every day. I'm going to meditate on it. And I'm going to allow the word of God to change my life. And then join a Bible study group. Okay? Come back on Sunday nights, get plugged in. And then let's buy some Bibles, man. If we really believe this word can change people's lives, we need to get the word of God out, don't we? For, for a buck, one buck, that's pocket change, you can buy a Bible that can change somebody's life. We talked about this this morning as well. Did you know the word of God is so powerful? Because it's alive. It's literally God speaking to you. It's unlike any other book. This book is power. One verse from this book can change a person's life. So let's buy a bunch of Bibles, Kavanaugh, so that lives can be... We, we may not know the result, but one day in heaven we'll know. 
Heavenly Father, I pray right now that you would touch our hearts, change our lives. Lord, there's somebody in this room that needs to come and receive Jesus as their Savior. And I pray that they would do that this morning. Others of us, just we need to come and spend time praying with you. Lord, help all of us to respond this morning and say, yes, I take the Bible seriously. And I'm going to read it, meditate on it, allow it to change my life. Lord, may some come this morning and pray for the work of the Gideons. Maybe you're putting on somebody's heart some, some man in here to become a Gideon. I pray that they would come and pray about that this morning, Lord. I love you, Jesus. I pray that you just have your way in this service. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Would you stand with heads bowed and eyes closed?